0: You're listening to Two Tape Decks and a Mixing Board, a podcast about life through the lens of music. Welcome to the show. I'm Jay Mack, live in St. Louis. And Sam Wade in Los Angeles. We are two lifelong friends who met over a Shared love of music, lost contact for a while, hooked back up through Facebook and social media, recorded some music, and now we're doing a podcast.
1: We're talking about life through the lens of music. What does that mean? It means that music is part of our obsession in life. Like I I don't know about you, J-Mac, but uh, pretty much everything that I do is somehow filtered through, through the lens of music, so it seems natural for me.
0: The first thing I do when I get up in the morning is turn on music. I don't know how you are. Some people are like, they want quiet in the morning. I've got to have tunes, something.
1: I dig that. I think for me, I, I wake up with a song in my head almost every day.
0: A new song that you've dreamt, like Paul McCartney and Yesterday, or is this just like something like... Usually it's a, it,
1: it could be a song that I've, I've been working on either uh, with you or a song that I'm working on uh, just in general. Yeah. Um, Something that's just stuck in my head won't go away. But every once in a while, it's a it's a song that uh, I've heard a thousand times. I'm sure, like like a like a a Beatles song, for example. We both love the Beatles.
0: Absolutely, that's kind of the thing that really got me into wanting to do music. And I know, I guess we were what thirty years past the Beatlemania, but somehow it still clicked. I would say I had a mini episode of Beatlemania when when the first time I heard. Rubber Soul, I believe I heard it at your house. That was the time I mean up till that point I'd heard like I want to hold your hand and that yep. that type of stuff. But when it was either revolver, Hard day's night. Yes, it was either revolver or rubber soul. I was over at your house and that was like I was like, This is blowing my mind and this was ninety four, ninety three, so this that was literally like thirty two years after it had been released, it was still blowing my mind. That's
1: true. Um, I think that there was like a whole wave in the 80s of like uh, their albums being remastered for CDs. So by that point, by the time that we were digging them like in the early 90s, there was all these CDs out there that you could check out from the library. So I just kind of went crazy. And I would just find whatever I could. I remember sitting there listening to, to Rubber Soul. I think uh, it was on like Norwegian Wood when the sitar came in that we both just kind of freaked out. Like, what is this sound? Right.
0: Absolutely. That was that that was what gave birth to my lifelong love of Indian music.
1: Absolutely. Um, I I don't even know if most people know what a sitar is. Can you just explain real quick what a sitar looks like, what it does, what's the difference with it?
0: It's got thirteen sympathetic strings which run under the main strings which resonate through a gourd. Six main strings or seven, if you're of the Ravi Shankar. Don't get me started on that. There's a whole feud between the six strings and the seven-string uh, sitars. And it's basically, it's, a, it's it's only melody. There's no chording. It's only a melody instrument. And most of the strings are just drone wow. instruments, meaning they're all kind of just complementing the one main note with the one main string where all the action really happens. Uh, we should do a whole... So week. that's interesting.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I, you know, I think that's probably what was so different... It kind of uh, it's saying that it's a like, constant drone string with a melody on top that kind of goes against um, where I had been, you know, at that point in my life. I had taken like piano lessons and maybe goofed around on guitar a little bit. But it's like it's all about creating the sound of the band, simplifying that to just like just a, a melody line with a drone, I think is part of what made it sound so different. Um, but it, regardless of what it was, it definitely captured our uh, imaginations at that at that time. And I think that we were primed uh, right at that moment for the Beatles anthology to get like that wave of, of 90s Beatlemania. Wouldn't you agree?
0: That was 96, the anthology, if I'm not mistaken, I believe. Well, here- yeah, it, It's interesting, too. It's like going back and listening to that, how many different things
1: uh, came out of that time period. I think we could talk about that at some point, just how much great music came out in the early 90s.
0: Well let's talk about a little bit about our upbringing as as regards to music. My family was not a musical family. My dad messed around on the guitar a little bit and we they were very religious so we had no really mainstream music, but he did have a few gospel or Christian records that we would listen to and I was fascinated with music at an early age. I just loved music as a kid. Now your your story is Different in the fact that your family was, or at least in my in my imagining or my knowledge, was very musical.
1: That's true. Um, music has always been around me for as long as I can remember. My dad uh, was a music major in in uh, college. Both him and my mom were in a band together. I think even when they were were dating, they were uh, part of churches uh, and played on the in the band at the church you know like the the church would have a rock band which was still kind of a novel thing then and uh i can remember sitting on a chair behind the drum set while my dad played drums on a sunday service it it really shaped the way that i saw things I, I, i think it's always been a part of me you know
0: well i my memory of your childhood home was there was a piano in the living room and there was always a guitar kind of somewhere around and I don't know if it was your dad playing it or your it's mom. true. Your mom plays the guitar as well as the piano, right? Yeah, she does. In fact, my
1: mom was who taught me my very first guitar chords. So that's a that's I still have uh, the guitar that that she taught me those chords on, and uh, that's the one that she used to sing songs for her students on that guitar. That's really, uh, which is pretty cool.
0: That's really great, yeah, man. You, that's a great. That's a great part of your childhood. There.
1: It's true. It is really great. And you mentioned that there was like a, a guitar almost like in every corner of the house i kind of think about it this way i've i've been in places where people like say they had knives and weapons all over the house in case they get broken into <laughs> um it was different at our house they hit a guitar at like everywhere so if you got an idea for a song there was something you could just grab and make music right then.
0: <laughs> by contrast my dad kept his That's guitar how it seemed anyway. By contrast, my dad kept his guitar under the bed, and it was kind of like forbidden. It was very much like, it was very mysterious. Well, yeah, it was under his bed, so it was really mysterious because it was in my parents' bedroom under the bed. And I remember it was a cheap-ass Yamaha guitar. You may have tried to play it at one time, but the strings, um, by the time it got halfway down the neck, were like a half inch off the fretboard, which... In technical terms, means it was a piece of crap.
1: Yeah, but that was Just put it through a through a, a crate amp.
0: Yeah, I've had I've had several crate amps.
1: Well, that's the you know some of them are good, some of them are are not so good. <laughs> St. Louis, that's how it goes.
0: St. Louis music, baby. That's out. They're out of business right now. Actually, they closed a while while back.
1: Uh sorry to hear that. They have actually turned out some really cool stuff over the years. Well, we should do a show about that at some point.
0: Yeah. But yeah, so that was kind of my upbringing. Um, music was played usually at my behest. I was always saying, let's, let's turn on some music. It was always me that wanted to turn on the music. I mean, how was it in your family? Your family always had music playing whenever I was over. Like, your dad always had a stack of CDs and records going. Always.
1: Always. Yeah, like, I'm, I was constantly surrounded by music. Uh, he, he loved to go to the library and just, like, get as many different kinds of music as he could find which I really appreciate now because one of the things that he would always challenge me on is like to what he called expanding your horizons. And I, I still firmly believe that with so many things in life to not get locked into just one way of, of looking at things. And that was, that was really a, a cool way uh, to be. And what i what I mean by that too, is not like listen to both the Rolling Stones and the Beatles, which I recommend. It was like, don't just listen to rock music. Also listen to like, bossa nova music and then check out this cool like japanese pop band you know what i mean it was like let's listen to all of it and indian music certainly fit into that category so yeah i I think it it was a good way to just uh have the opportunity to be exposed to a lot of different ways of listening and playing music that certainly i think affects the way I, i i look at things now
0: well, the funny thing was, I was the musical explorer in the family. Do you know who Don Francisco was? Does that name ring a bell for you? Absolutely. He's, he was like kind of like, uh, like a Gordon Lightfoot type, like Jim Croce kind of Christian guy. I remember
1: seeing that name float around, but I think you're right. I would say Gordon Lightfoot is a comparison. We can find out later if we're wrong, but I think that, that, that's how it, how it seems in my head.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it was very acoustic, and I remember the, the first tape, cassette tape there we go two tape decks that i ever got was michael w smith the live set and pe- people should be familiar with michael w smith he had some songs in the in the late 90s on on mainstream radio if you want to call it that but i literally wore that tape out and it was it was kind of like 80s rock kind of with like a very christiany but i don't remember i don't remember it being bad musically but that was my first tape of my own and I just I just loved it and, it and played it and played it and played it and played it until it actually broke kids tapes would break and then then they were you were screwed you couldn't play them anymore
1: I mean you could try and open it up and tape it back together and like it would skip through part of the song most of the time it would just like blow up inside the cassette deck
0: <laughs> yeah because you, I
1: remember that album man
0: I, I actually have it on vinyl and my lady my wife hates when I turn it on she's like oh you're not turning that on again I was like it's my childhood. Stop." <laughs>
1: I, You know, um, I recently uh, listened to some of his music again from that time period, and what I didn't realize is that uh, there's some really big names on those records playing on those songs. Um, so, say, for example, um, Tony Levin plays bass on some of the songs from The Big Picture, which that live album was from the tour. You know, he's having Pierre Gabriel's bass player play on these songs, so... There was definitely a machine behind what he was doing. And some of that music is really, actually really good.
0: Well, the, the song that I think everybody would get from Michael W. Smith is Friends of Friends Forever, if the Lord's a Lord of them. It's a karaoke song now. That's basically what it is.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I can totally see that.
0: So what, <laughs> was, what was your first? That's, that's funny. I didn't know that you had listened to him. So what is your what is your first tape or record or CD? What was your very first, your own music that you remember being, this is mine, don't touch it?
1: We definitely had some that I had to share with my brother and sister, right? So that was mine, was probably either a Michael W. Smith tape, believe it or not. But the one that I really remember that changed my life was this album by a guy named Phil Keggy. If there's any uh, guitar players listening they know that he's like, definitely one of the best in the, in the business. Um, and he put out a record in the early 90s called Crimson and Blue. And I don't know what it is about that album, but something about it made me want to write songs for myself. And I would listen to it like when I went to sleep at night, when I woke up in the morning, throughout the day. Um, so that was the first one I remember that that I really owned for myself.
0: My dad had Phil Kage's Sunday's Child, which was kind of like a mock-up Beetle, a rec- Beetle record. They kind of recorded it like the Beatles did, all live in the studio, and that was sort of my introduction to Phil Kage And I wore that shit out too, dude. It was so, it was just so good. It, like the cover looked like Meet the Beatles, and they were using Rickenbacker guitars and Hofner basses, and uh, that was a really good one. In fact, I kind of commandeered or relabeled it as mine after a certain point because my dad my dad would bring his little walkman the little cassette tape with the headphones to work and he would bring his cassette tapes with him and i would always raid his stash for the good stuff now he had some he had some garbage in there most of it was garbage i didn't care for but the <laughs> but the phil Kagi one became mine basically
1: that's pretty cool you know i actually think uh, i remember looking in the liner notes of that i think they even used Ringo's drum kit or one of his drum kits when they recorded that. Does that sound right to you?
0: Yes. Yes. It does say we'll that. i will have to verify that. No, no. It's, I'm, I guarantee That's you. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Because I was like, I was like, how did they do that? I still, did they steal it? <laughs> I don't know. Ringo doesn't lend out his drum kit, but yeah, I do remember that. Sam and I have known each other since you were like 12 or 13 as my memory. And I I'm like two or three years older than you. So I must've been about yep. 15 and we met, we lived in the same neighborhood in St. Louis County. And I would always bring my right. skateboard up to the school. It was a private school. And it was like a nice flat parking lot. And I, in my skater, skater boy days, I'd come up with my mullet, no shirt, and a giant cross necklace. And just tear it up on the parking lot, doing power slides and grinds. And uh, much to the chagrin of the principal and all the teachers involved, because they thought I was some kind of derelict. And then I remember you came out, and I don't know if you were trying to get me to go to your church. I think you just more wanted to hang out with me because you thought I was cool. How mistaken were you? But that was that was my first. That was my first time. <laughs> I, and my wife actually went to school with you at that school, so we were kind of from. It was not really a small town, but that neighborhood had kind of a small town feel to it. How, what was your memory of it?
1: No, I think you're right, and and you're absolutely right about that neighborhood having like a little small town feel to it. We even had a little small town store hidden back. Do you remember that? That little, like, uh, I think it was called Bandys and it was called gaddies. And it was essentially like somebody had taken a house that was on the corner of the street and they had paved over the sidewalk to make a parking lot. And then retrofitted that house to have like freezer coolers and shelves and built themselves like a little like uh, <laughs> grocery store for the neighborhood. Do you remember that?
0: That is like three or four houses down from my in-law's house. And it is now looks like a tornado hit it it's the 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 roof's got holes in it it's completely abandoned but yeah i used to go up there and they had you know what they had in the back they had a super mario brothers arcade game and i would just bring five dollars and just get quarters and just play 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 never get past level three
1: <laughs> that's awesome man i remember just like uh, just hanging out all over that neighborhood and and uh you know we lived next door to one of the parking lots that you'd come in like um my my family lived next door in a house next to a parking lot where you would come in like skateboard and at first i think i was like who's this guy he looks like trouble no (laughs) but uh you know we (laughs) we i was probably coming over to kick you off no i'm kidding i'm kidding no uh once i found out that you played music and play guitar i was like oh maybe we could start a band you know in my 13 year old mind we could start a band which we kind of did didn't we we
0: didn't it didn't have a name it became it became Tomorrow Never Knows, which is a teaser for probably the next episode. I think what it was, was music is kind of like, it's it's the universal language. And a kid skateboarding in a neighborhood can have something in common when he sees another kid up on a porch playing a guitar, hearing piano music. And music was definitely the, the key that unlocked the friendship between us. Probably, I mean, I would like to say it was a little bit like Lennon and McCartney,
1: <laughs> it was uh, like you know a little bit like that sure <laughs> I think uh, I, at that point I don't even think I was even playing guitar by that point um, I had just been taking piano lessons and decided that I wanted to write songs and I found out that you were writing songs and you were getting ready to release a tape and I was like I gotta be a part of that even ironically at that point uh, you were doing um, something some similar to this too right you were doing like kind of like your own radio show in the basement so I just remember trying to figure out like, how I can be a part of that club.
0: <laughs> All you need is two tape decks, my friend.
1: Two tape decks and a mixing board, There right? you go. No.
0: My album, do you remember what my first album was called? Wasn't it called The Coping? Yes, which is a skateboard term for the, the metal pipe at the at the edge of a ramp. And there was, I think there was even a song called The Coping, as my memory was just me strumming my electric guitar as fast as I could to a Casio beat in the background. It was pretty horrible. But... There was a song on there that later became something that we're going to definitely talk about in the future. Alone on the moon. There was a turd to be polished in the pile, so to speak. What else do you remember about the neighborhood and and our and our, and our musical collaboration of that time? Because you're right, you didn't start playing guitar until after you'd played piano a few years, but eventually I would come up and you would be sitting on the on your patio with a guitar. But at first, I just remember hearing piano music and like you would just kind of come out, and be like, "Hey man, hey man." What are you doing, man?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I was just like some weird little hippie kid, right? That's like walking yeah. up like, will you be my friend? <laughs> <laughs> I play music. <laughs> no, I remember like, you know, I think both of us, even at that age, we had some from somewhere, I don't know where, but we had the the guts to have a vision, right? I, you know, I don't even mean that as like, oh, we were we were vision casting. The point is, is like we were said, you know, let's let's record some songs and make a tape, and then we just went and did it. We didn't question it. We just went and did it, and I think I had respect for that. And I was like, okay, we can go and do something cool. Um, for for me at that point, um, the the I lived next door to this church that we also went to, and I had the keys, and I was allowed to go in there, and they had a piano and they had uh, a tape deck. And I would just go in there and record for hours just to learn how to do it. Um, Sometimes my dad would come over and he would do some audio engineering for me and sit up there and man, it was very, very uh, cool of him to do that. But the idea of someone my own age that I could go and just spend hours making music with kind of just changed the way that I even thought about things in general. And, you know, we'll have to dig up some of those recordings that we've we, we worked on at that time. 'cause i bet you there's some other good stuff in there wouldn't you think?
0: I mean, i know there is. In fact, your 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 first recording collection, um what was it? Unplugged Jesus music. Is that was that what it was? Unplugged Jesus music? <laughs> yeah. No.
1: Yeah, that's what it was called.
0: I remember you did you covered one of my songs on the grand piano is this goodbye, which was I mean, to tell you the truth, it's not a bad song. I mean, the version that I initially did, which I could dig that out, That's it's horrible because I'm like, Is this goodbye, my blue-eyed darling? <laughs> Sounded like I'm gargling with razor blades. But the song itself was not that bad, and I remember you covered it on that grand piano that was in that church.
1: I remember that, yep. I turned it into, I think, you know, what I did is I turned it into Ballroom Dancing by Paul McCartney.
0: I was going to say- Do you know Gre- that song? Yeah, but I was going to say, like, Great Balls of Fire by Jerry Lee Lewis, minus the Great Balls of Fire. It was kind of was like honky-tonk a little bit.
1: It definitely is. It definitely is that style. I mean, I'm not cool. I, I wasn't cool enough to know that it sounded like Jerry Lee Lewis, though. That's all I'm pointing out.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, we have a lot of recordings from those days, and I do remember the first time you came over to my house and you saw my setup, and this, this, this is where we're going to end this episode. We're going to explain the— the title, Two Tape Decks and a Mixing Board, and then we'll cut and record the next episode. But the first time you came over and saw my studio, you, your mind was blown because I had this Frankenstein setup of, I had, I believe I had like um, like two different tape recorders of two varying speeds, um, which created tuning issues. And I had them hooked up to like a PA system and I would record take one on the best tape deck jump it to, and then route it through the mixing board, through the other tape deck, and then do take two on top of that. I've got piles and piles and piles of tapes of take one, take two, take three, overdub number five, and they're all garbage, but they would probably be fun to listen to. So describe how, what your what your mental state was when you saw my Frankenstein setup, because I think I blew your mind. It did blow
1: my mind. I like Honestly, at that point, I had never even thought of doing something like that. I, my concept of of making music was probably similar to what a lot of people think making music is. It, they they either think that it, it's either a bunch of people getting in a room and playing it together at the same time and, and hitting record, or they see someone sitting in from a in front of a mixing board with all the knobs and they're like, oh, that's like rocket science. I can never understand that. So for for me, my experience at that point was like, you just hit record and you just perform it, right? I I did not have the concept of Recording something and then recording on top of that audio, which is called overdubbing, but to overdub new music on top of it So it, it blew my mind because, you know, suddenly the spark started flying in my mind We could make like some huge sounds this way uh, Of course, and you run into the challenges of like <laughs> of like the tape degradation over time But you know what I'm saying? Like it definitely created like this this charming early way of making music um that i realized was charming at the time but uh i still dig it
0: well i mean you got to give me props for coming up with that idea because my thought was like i couldn't always play and sing at the same time so i'm like how can i get around this so if i play on one tape and then sing along with that tape i've invented overdubbing or so i thought and I think I remember my dad being kind of vaguely impressed and hoping I wasn't going to shock the hell out of myself on some of my setups because we did not have good equipment. We never had good equipment. It wasn't until I became like in my 20s and had my own job that I could afford good equipment. But yeah, so I, that's how I was just kind of thought. I need, I need more space. I need more instruments. And I, and I wondered how the Beatles did it because like you said, every time you loop the tape back through, it degraded more. So I found like you could only really do it once or twice and then it just became so that you lost what you started to do by like it was unlistenable i never got how they did it in the studio and it wasn't until later that i saw actually how they did it but i think i must have seen something on tv and thought hey i could do something like that and then low the two tape decks and a mixing board method was born i call it the two tape deck method
1: the two tape deck method i like that I think that what's amazing about that is like, is the problem solving that's, that's there, right? Like, I think that's one of the things that we both connected on then that I think we still connect on now. And that is this idea of being like, well, what do I have to work with? I'm going to make something with that before I go out and get something else. Maybe I can't go get something else. So what can I do with what I have? And it's that do it yourself self-mentality now that's like a super popular way of doing things, but that really wasn't the jam back then. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think it's pretty ingenious what you were able to figure out with two cassette decks. I didn't know that they were at different speeds. That's funny.
0: Well, that's why what I had was tuning issues. For I mean, just for a technical note, if you record something on one tape deck and and the speed varies from tape deck to tape deck, every time you switch, the tone slightly degrades as well as the audio. So I would literally have to retune my guitar by like semitones to tune up with the, because the, the, I mean, we were poor kids. We didn't have, we didn't have money. So I basically would just grab my dad's tape deck from the garage and then go through the headphone jack into the, into the PA system, routed to another tape deck that had RCA inputs. Yeah. So you, you, you used what you had. So yeah, it was a mess. And so if you listen back to some of those old recordings, you can hear they're out of tune. Some of them are out of tune. That's because I couldn't I couldn't get the tuning right because it was so warped by the time it got to pass three that it was it was it was like a cacophony of detuned instruments.
1: Well, I would love to hear that. That'd be a cool comparison. But you know, to put this in context, what I just thought of is like even with them being slightly out of tune, the fact that you could just have two tape decks right there, record an idea, and then go right to it was also like a huge improvement for me because my recording at that point was recording at this church that yes they had the piano I could use but the piano was downstairs and then the controls for the tape player were up in the sound booth which was uh, back th- all the way to the front of the building and then up a little small staircase to the top so what I would do is I would go and hit play and then I would run downstairs as quickly as I could <laughs> and go sit in front of the piano so like every time that you hear the hear <laughs> the record start it's a good like at least 30 seconds and then you hear like some you know barreling part, you know feet running up to the piano taking a deep breath and then start playing again. So I didn't like use up a bunch of tape. So it was a vast improvement to be able to just put it all there in the basement. So yeah, so it did. It it blew my 13 year old mind.
0: Yeah. I remember the church because it was almost like you would add like a cartoon sound effect, like the Simpsons of feet running away from the upstairs and then, and then running to the piano. And I believe at some point you actually recu- recruited me up in the sound booth to hit record. And I think that's when we recorded Sweet Dreams, oh, yeah? "Sweet Dreams, my love. Yeah, I think it was.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: Okay, well, that makes sense. If I was your first I, I, you recording know, we, engineer. <laughs> well,
1: that's the producer in me, always roping other people in to get things done.
0: <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, you want to sign off and, and record episode two? Sure, let's do it. That I'm Jay Mack. And I'm Sam Wade. Saying so long for just a while.